0: All right, welcome to episode two of Just Another buzzer on the Bus. Today we're here with—I'm just going to call you Stephen. Okay, we're here with Sean Slaymaker, uh, who I affectionately call Stephen off and on uh, due to probably aging and dementia, but
1: um, I it, many was, it was done with,
0: with tender loving care. Welcome. Glad glad that you uh, were here today. Well, thank
1: you for having me. Yeah. Well,
0: very much so. So, we're, let's start out today, um, and as we do most of, of these episodes, we're going to, wh- what do we want to, we want to know a little bit about you, and that meaning that a little bit of your story, and it's preferably, you, you can define your story how any way you mm-hmm. want, but it's not supposed, this is not, like, we don't want to know about, you know, your your uh, trials and tribulations necessarily, but more of your bozo story, you know. How did you get here? And and, and to this moment in this
1: time in this place in your life.
0: you've had, you have a, a very colorful story.
1: Yeah. Um so uh I was pretty much, I mean I I've, I've lived in Utah my whole life so um I'll will uh, just try and skip through the uh the uh the well not shorten the story. Um I always kind of grew up like with this feeling of um uh, like kind of inadequacy or different Like I wasn't exactly a social butterfly when I was a child um, I, I I had maybe like two friends, three friends in the neighborhood um, I remember, actually just kind of a little bit ago I remember, because uh, I was just sitting at home thinking Like I, I was the kid that pulled a knife on one of my friends when I was like five So um, oh, Really? Did, yeah. Were they shocked? Yeah, they were pretty shocked I was mad because they didn't invite me down to their treehouse So I pulled a knife on them um do you have any idea where that kind of that idea came from where you learned it? No. No. I, I have a um well, who, whose knife was it? It was a kid it was a steak knife. Oh. So <laughs> I see. Okay. So just yeah. Um kind of like socially awkward, um uh kind of child. Um had trichotillomania when I was a kid, which definitely wasn't getting me. Uh, any positive attention when I was in elementary school mostly made fun of. You want to explain what that is? Trichotillomania. That is the the picking and pulling of hair, mm-hmm. followed usually by eating it or something like that. It's just a it's a similar tick to biting your nails. Sure. Um, Which I did. I was yeah. I was
0: a nail biter till my mid to late twenties.
1: And I I think I I picked and pulled my hair till probably right before the start of junior high, but still, I mean, it it definitely uh, garnered some awkward attention as a child. Um, And then uh, it kind of carried over into uh, people that, you know, I I ended up going to school, junior high with these, the same people that kind of knew me. And so I didn't really like getting picked on and stuff like that. And so I, I started to... We're talking about like teasing and things, teasing yeah. and stuff, okay. and that's kind of where I started. Like I don't like being teased, and so I thought like if I stood up to these people, mm-hmm. um, and things like that, you know, they would they wouldn't bother me, and people would like me. But no one likes the crazy person that pulls their hair out who might punch <laughs> you at any given moment.
0: Well, except maybe.
1: Yeah, except maybe more crazy people. True, and um, so. Yeah, so I mean I I now I was garnering negative attention on either way, but I did I like, I did kind of like gravitate towards that feeling of people were scared of me. Mm-hmm. Um and and I did like that. And that would carry on into high school and a little bit later on. Um so the people that did um kind of I guess gravitate towards me were the, you know, the outcasts or the weirdos or whatever mm-hmm. you want to call them and not necessarily people you'd want to take home to meet your mom. Um. So these are the people I started hanging out with And kind of, you know, garnishing my uh, self-worth from And stuff like that And these are the kids that are, you know In junior high, out behind the dumpsters Smoking weed and stuff So I'm doing that stuff at a really young age And um, for some reason, I I get the, the uh, just the fascination With the altered state of mind um, started really, really young. Um, I don't know if that was part of being the the Ritalin generation, where I'm, you know, getting medications, you know, meth, you know, high quality methamphetamine for a child, at <laughs> five years old. So, so were, you were. What you're saying is that you were. Were you on Ritalin at yeah. this point? And so you've been diagnosed with ADD or ADHD. ADHD. Okay. okay. Um. And like just kind of knowing like if I took I, I I kind of figured it out earlier on if I took extra this medication I'd sit in class and I'd shake and I'd be super focused. And, um, and about how old was that
0: that you re- realized the, that you could self medicate with different doses?
1: Seven, I think seven, six. No or seven. kidding. Yeah, really young. Um, my mom would always put the pill out on the counter, and then um. Uh, it, it had and it was it was a complete accident on on her part but I, I took the pill one morning and she she must have forgot that she would already put it out because she put another one out and I, I took that and I was like oh holy shit, holy cow if I do this I feel really good um <laughs> and so I'd start doing that my mom's trying to figure out like why is this medication running out fast this makes no sense and she, you know she's accusing my dad of stealing my meds and I'm like <laughs> someone's so, taken yeah you know, someone's right? taken I'm like well it's not the seven year old um and um,
0: well, she had to figure it out at some point.
1: She did, and then they they transferred me to Concerta, which kind of ruined my fun with that. But I was able to, you know, find illicit ways to uh, to medicate myself. Well, and, and we should say what Concerta is.
0: Um, it's a name brand. If I'm, I mean, it's mm-hmm. a, it's a brand name for a type of ADHD medication that only releases specific amounts at certain times over the day. So it's a little bit different than traditional Ritalin or Adderall or something like that. Yeah, it's no fun.
1: That's what it is. Okay. Um,
0: <laughs> they they figured out what your what your scheme was, and they yeah and they had an intervention.
1: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that stuff's it, 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 it's just it's not the fun stuff. So um, but I, at this point, um, I was going into you know, junior high, so I was able to find other ways to do it. Um, you know, and whatever and marijuana um so i mean i i guess it started out i guess the the whole entire use of drugs i mean um started out innocently enough, I think it does with most people um you're just looking for a good time but um I also had parents who were very very- uh strict they were they were the parents that Uh, As soon as I hit junior high, like, I I wasn't allowed to have sleepovers anymore kind of thing. Like, it was really weird um, where they're like, you don't need to have sleepovers and no, 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 no. So I only had, once again, kind of stunting, I guess, the the social growth and kind of feeling like this weird outcast where it's like, all my friends are able to do it. And, you know, so I learned how to. Um, high being really lit up around my parents uh, very, very well. Um, But still, like... Did they not
0: have any clue, really? Do
1: you think? um, I mean, they... they, Eventually, they did. But um, with enough practice, I got pretty good at covering it. But I do think um, kind of... I do think it was kind of socially stunting to not be able to go over and like spend the night at your friend's house when you're just a kid. Sure. It's not like I'm not going to do anything. Yeah. It's not, you know, <laughs> so I thought that was really awkward. And, um, once again, I kept stigmatizing myself where I'm just like, this is just weird. Um, and so I think I always kind of found an escape with, um, drugs and alcohol, like, uh, like a, like a kindred spirit. Mm-hmm. Um, you bonded with it because you weren't able to bond
0: socially. I mean, sort of the premise of, of um, you know, this idea of um, people that struggle with substances and don't learn how to make healthy human connections and human bonds will bond with substances. It's an easier way, yeah. and a way to at least feel connected to something. Yeah. And this is, this is where the new model's going anyway, mm-hmm. is that people need to be connected to something. They need to bond to something, and they'll find a way to do that in one form or another.
1: Yeah, and I definitely agree with that model. Um, but I, I, that's what I bonded with my 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 siblings have the same thing too. And I mean, they never really smoked crack, but you know, good for them. Um, <laughs> to each their own. <laughs> yeah, to each their own. My my brother. Yeah, and I guess, um, I guess my whole entire family is a little so like the siblings are a little socially inept in certain places. My brother, uh, same thing. I can kind of tell he he doesn't go out and meet. He doesn't make social uh, very well social all his connections yeah, yeah, all his are video game friends And he knows online That's all his friends mm-hmm. He doesn't go out and hang out with people My sister just dove headstrong into school and dance And all these things um, She was the, the poster child of the family um <laughs> what do you say the most normalized yes. in some ways? She seemed, uh like, but I I she she was also very um attached to what she was doing. Like she had to you know, that was her thing. That was her escape. Mine was um substances. And um as time went on, like the people I started hanging out with and, and the more drugs I started experimenting with, the more uh I, I don't I negative people. And would come into my life, and a lot of them were not good at all. And it kind of took me down a really dark road to where it's, you, you know, selling drugs and doing this. And then um, I found what we're, we're
0: talking a bit of a clandestine or a criminal lifestyle. Yeah. Trying to say, nice yes, exactly.
1: Um, and uh, a lot of it got tied in with uh, heavy duty substances, uh, heroin and cocaine and stuff like that. Um, and it's taken my my life down a couple times. It's not just once. It's like I'll get clean. I've screwed up and fallen down. And um, I, for a long, long time, I was the guy that would just dig the hole as deep as I could go until um, the police would intervene. Um, and uh, it's just kind of been the last little bit where I kind of had enough belief that maybe I can do something on my I can do something on my own to intervene before that. Uh-huh. Um, and that's kind of what I've been gravitating towards more now because uh, I don't like jail. I've done enough jail time for quite a few people who are probably listening. So, um, I'm I'm trying to avoid that because it's 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 negative enough going once, but going multiple multiple mm-hmm. times just doesn't have any
0: You know, one thing that stood out to me when 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 we first got to know each other, and I'm thinking that was a year or two ago. Mm-hmm. um was, I remember one of our first conversations, uh, that of any length, that was about um, your uh, attraction to, if I, I mean, if, if that's the right word, um, to violence, and how it gave you a rush. Yeah, and I know you're in a completely different place now than 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 that at that moment because that was when you were starting to deal with these issues. But what, what how would you describe that today? That kind of uh, attraction that you had. I know it's different today, but what was that really like?
1: What's so it's um it it's it's powerful. It really really is. Um so this is going to sound super sadist, but um you you go in and you pretty much have someone. You you rough them up. You do whatever you you do whatever you do. And there's there's like a look that they give you at some point mm-hmm. where you you pretty much know you're in complete control. And um, it's very the look on their face. Yeah, is what you're it's very intoxicating mm-hmm. because I know that I I get whatever I want. I can mm-hmm. do whatever I want because all they want is out of the situation and either they're scared for their life or whatever it is um there there's a look on the face uh, that you know you look f- that you look for mm-hmm. and you see it in the eyes it's not really anywhere else in the face it's in the eyes and um and even if you're just in a regular scrap it's it's the it's the whole entire getting hit the adrenaline rush that peaks immediately or just Just swinging. I mean, it's the same as any substance. I think adrenaline can be just as addicting as um, heroin or cocaine.
0: Of course, yes. Well, I mean, you wouldn't people wouldn't be addicted to you know extreme sports or high levels of exercise, um, doing a lot of high risk behaviors. you know those guys that you know jump off the top top of mountains where they call that you know uh they, you squirrel know. suits yeah squirrel suits but i think there's another
1: word um <laughs> i forget <laughs> what they're i forget what it's uh but it's yeah base jumping base jumping
0: junior. something like that yeah but the, a lot of these people die yeah i mean it's such a rush but the, it also looks incredible you know mm-hmm. just watching it, it's a rush anyway you're right you can be addicted to anything and that's that's a chemical that we create. Um, you know in our own in our own brain based upon an experience right yeah kind of like romantic love which you know we, we, which is you know another huge addiction in
1: the world today uh, anyway yeah but yeah that's that it's just like it. I was addicted to that because I, I mean it's you spend so much time getting made fun of and stuff like that as a child and not being able to socially bond and then getting to a point where you kind of have someone like your complete women control mm-hmm. um it was very intoxicating and stuff like that and uh, and then you're hanging out with or I'm spending time with people who who notice that and that is viewed as a very very important trait and you get more and more I guess on the street you call it respect um, from that and people are fearful of you so if you're selling drugs and people are fearful of you they're not likely to screw you over and stuff so it's, it just it fit in with the lifestyle at the time and it was yeah it was, it was intoxicating i'm not proud of it i've done you know like i said i've done time for it i've been in a lot of trouble i've done a lot of things that i'm not proud of because of it but at the time it fit my lifestyle mm-hmm. so i've kind of learned to let it go because for a long time i felt really really bad like any normal person wouldn't do that like this is like i'm st- like sociopathic behavior, um, psychopathic behavior. Mm-hmm. Um where like you enjoy that and it was um the more I kinda look at it now, because it's it it kind of felt like at the time that was the only time I was getting this feeling of like emotion where I actually for a long time was like I'm like I think I might be sociopathic. <laughs> like this is crazy. But I think a lot of it is because a lot of my emotions at the time were numbed out because of drugs too. Yeah. So yeah. because when you're, I mean, not, not to jump too far ahead, but when
0: when you're sober and you're, you know, in, or clean, whatever you want to call it, but at least sober, that um, those tendencies are not there.
1: Yeah. You know. No. I, yeah, they're definitely not. Um, so which that means that as much as you
0: know, it, it's maybe uh, in some strange way. Uh, powerful to think of oneself as a sociopath
1: that's not who you are (laughs) no no but it was scary for a long time I mean I'm not gonna lie I I like um, a certain doctor I know have a certain fascination with uh, serial killers too but that's just more for the psychological mindset where you think a person has to be in to do that like it's kind of like how do you get to that point how do you become Jeffrey Dahmer like what do you do to get that far down the rabbit hole um so I mean that is fascinating to me but I think that's not, that doesn't make me any different yeah. than anybody. Well, um, well
0: we'll come back around to that actually uh, today a little bit because there's part of this the part of the story um you know of connection and and why um healthy connection and healthy human connection and vulnerability um is so important as we know. Uh, and you know propagates or reinforces living more of a a stable sober mental emotional life um the opposite of that when we become hurt or ostracized or alienated in some way um our life becomes quite different which is kind of the story you just told a little bit that Mm -hmm. you know um whether you be picked upon or bullied or or something or um you know uh, people isolate you know isolated you or alienated you in some way or and it creates this 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 deep disconnection um from some some normal healthy social um environments that can help you know breed more healthy ways to to live life and to connect to people so yeah um i want to i want to kind of move forward just a little bit because it kind of ties into then you know what where we are and 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 part of this what you're talking about your story and how you got here is this idea of um you know and i know you and i've talked about this briefly before but this idea of you know do you believe in like free will do you believe that we have free choices and free will or do you i mean are you kind of like what's your stance on that you know considering where you came from and where
1: you are now I mean, do I have free will or do there's a destiny? Uh, I, I believe in I believe in free will because at any given point you have a multitude of choices you can you can do, um, and that's not to dash anyone that says it's destiny or this and <coughs> this and that. But at any given point, I could have made any litany of um, choices that would have put me in a different place than I'm at now. So I guess I guess they they can kind of fit together like they they can kind of fit together in the the idea of you start going down a road um where you make these choices and they can, they become second nature. Mm-hmm. So the end you know accumulation of everything is going to be the destiny of where you're going to end up, but it's your choices in the end that get you to there. So I believe more in the the free choice and free will but when you continue to make the decisions ...based on the, the lifeline you're, you're living, it's going to become destiny. But that's not destiny, you know, assigned by some higher being or anything. That's that's destiny assigned by yourself. Sure. So, I think what you and I maybe, well, I believe agree upon
0: this... ...is we're talking the development of a schema, which in, the, in yep. some ways is a habit, right? Yeah. So, a schema, and I think I talk about this in the book a little bit... ...it's a kind of a cocktail of, you know, belief systems, stories... Um, repetitive behaviors that form a habit, and mm-hmm. they we do it so much that it just sort of run, runs underneath the surface. It's almost a subconscious. Um, it, it's happening subconsciously, and I think I use the example of driving a car. You can't. Think about every time you put your foot on the gas or hit, the, you know, a stop or, or, you know, a turn signal or, you know, those kinds of things. It, it would be almost impossible to drive in a function, any type of high level of functionality if, if you didn't have a driving schema that was going on underneath. So, but the same thing with a lifestyle that we all create based upon those belief systems, you know, we're all living some kind of narrative which perpetuates this, um, when when you, you you one thing that we talked about and and uh, just briefly as you were going through your story was this idea of having different types of addiction and you you brought up adrenaline mm-hmm. you know and and how that you know came about through through violence and, and those kinds of things so when you think about that today and you think about the different kinds of addictions um, that you you can have and I mean obviously there was a lot of drug addiction I mean what did you say crack heroin. Uh, alcohol know, yeah i mean it was a it was a, 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 a cocktail lot. of poly substances yeah, yeah. at that point what what did you notice on on the mental or emotional level um some of the uh,
1: addictive patterns or the
0: habits that you were
1: dealing with when
0: you look back at that time
1: um uh, so I, you're, you're asking me, like, where was my mindset at?
0: Like, well, did you notice, I mean, maybe violence would be one of them in some ways. Oh, I mean, what other, what, how many, yeah. like, what addictions was I dealing with? Yeah, what kind of personal addictions besides just the drugs and the alcohol do you see that that you, you've struggled with as well? I mean, because, again, we focus so much on the substances that we don't see the sort of the outliers on this that have the same outcome for us.
1: You know. Yeah um I mean definitely there's there's the adrenaline there's there's the the addiction to 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 money there's the addiction to to sex I'm dealing with at the time there's there there was there's actually I believe an addiction to not feeling so you're actually taking these substances in so you don't have to feel or look at you know what you're doing because if you have any semblance of a, co- of a a conscience and you're doing these things oh. eventually you're trying to get away from what you're doing to numb out that so I think there can actually be an addiction to um, not not feeling these negative emotions that are associated with what you're doing so,
0: so. like almost an addiction to being numb or disassociate yeah to, to just detach and disassociate from reality which yeah, yeah.
1: Exactly, and I mean, and i I was able to do that with actually incorporating the addiction to drugs um, heroin in particular, which is a great numbing agent um, <laughs> to not feeling, and so I think there was there's actually an addiction to that. I think a lot of people don't want to feel what they're feeling on a daily basis, and they'll go out and either they they get their fix through going to the gym or sitting and watching tv just escaping i think there's actually an an addiction based in that where you're just trying to escape Mm -hmm. the feeling of everyday life and i think that's a huge driving force with a lot of addictions that are going on at any given point i don't even i think you need to incorporate that into looking at it as like an addictive problem Is a lot of these people are just trying to escape what they feel on a daily basis and i think that can be more negative than the drugs themselves because the drugs are just the symptom Right. If if that's the way that you know, the the model states. The yeah,
0: and, and, and uh you know, that's that's true. Did did you notice when the substances um were not as big a part of your life, did you notice any of the other addictions kinda of coming up and taking hold? Um, any of the behavioral things or the, the sex, sex. Sex a lot. Sex
1: is a big one. Yeah. Sex is a big one. Um once again just trying to chase that feeling of feeling um good or um money or like just buying like lots of clothes or something to be into to fashion mm-hmm. I mean I, I think everyone s- struggles with addiction it's not just the people that you see the homeless guy you see on the street that you're just like oh, that guy's addicted to crack mm-hmm. it's like well, why are you driving around a Maserati or mm-hmm. uh, you know a Maserati why are you, why, why are you so attached to that mm-hmm. I think it's it's not just a a problem that substance abuse people i think everyone has it because that's the way the brain's designed is just pretty much a supercomputer just to run at any given moment so those people found something that's much more you know blaring and it's on their sleeve and you know on their arms with the track marks and whatever it is but in the end it's you know a lot of people can't get out the house without three cups of coffee in their system so how are you any different than them (laughs) You're
0: telling my story. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I know. Why now. But it's yeah. I have about three cups of coffee in the morning. That's about right. Starts around five six a.m.
1: Well, no wonder you need a couple cups of coffee. That's way too early.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's my time. It's my time. That morning time is my time. All right. This is the, this is one of the favorite things. And you and know, I have talked about this in detail, actually, already once, mm-hmm. but. The victim narrative. The victim stance.
1: Oh, so this is... Yeah, this is where my part actually comes up in the book. Um, <laughs> oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um. So, like, my... So, my, the tech like, on victim stance, where it's, you know, the woe is me, this and this and that, Um, mine was kind of... uh, I was a victim of my actions, where I can't... I did all these horrible things. I did all these terrible, terrible things, where I'm a like no one can love me. I'm I'm a horrible person. So I'm actually not a victim. Like I, the way I I I interpret it is, I'm not a victim of other people. I'm a victim of myself. Where I'm doing these terrible, terrible things and hurting people and you know, like ruining people's lives and doing this. So how can I be a normal person? How can I be liked? I'm just this terrible, terrible person. And so I might as well just keep digging this hole and see how far down I can go. And I mean, I guess, yeah, part of that was incorporated from a young age where people were picking on me. So I'm the victim of that. Uh, at the time, people didn't like me, so I need to lash out. But in the end, um, Like I can only be the victim of something once. Mm. Like if someone walks up and punches me in the face, in that moment I'm the victim of his actions. Mm -hmm. But if I see that person, you know, three years down the line, and I'm just an absolute fear, and I'm still holding on to that, I'm I'm not the I'm just creating the story in my head to try and you know. Like, cause for for all I know, this person was just having a horrible day, and I was on the wrong side of the street, and he just wanted me out of the way, so he hit me. He could be the nicest person in the world, but I've formulated <laughs> I've formulated this story where the um, nicest person in the world yeah. just happened to walk, walk up and punch you in the face. me in the face. Right, right. But yeah, I mean, it's you can only be the victim of something once. If you keep holding on to this story, you're just inhibiting your life and moving forward. Because so, so there's a
0: payoff that yeah. that we get, is what you're saying. Exactly. Being a victim, we we get to it, it. gives us an excuse to behave or think or do things in a certain way. To hang on to stories of our, of our past. Yeah, and and it, it it. I mean, you know, it doesn't mean that we aren't the victim of things. That things do happen. It's just what do we do with it after it's done. Yeah, and and either whether it be trauma whether um, it be abuse or these kinds of things, what do we do with that story when it's over do we continue to hang on to it or do we begin to move past it And what I hear, and I know you, you did talk about this in the book and and we're talking about the book Recovering the Seed in this case um, that this story of I can only be a victim once is seems a little outrageous sometimes to people that, you know, well I, it it's still with me, It still happened, so how can I just be the victim once? Because it is something that happened to me. And it gets down to, like you're saying, the story, right? Mm-hmm. That I'm, ki- I'm keeping this story alive because I get something from it, right? Mm-hmm. And what, what, what do you think that, that that's, what do you think's happening for people when they, they, they get something
1: from this? What, what is the basis of that secondary gaming? It's gonna be different for everyone, of course. Um, I mean, I think what it is, is it, a lot of people use it to excuse away, like, bad habits or something. I mean, I'm I'm safe in a room right now, so I can say this. So, for instance, you know, the people that are sexually abused as a child, um, it's because they can't come and hit me right now. Um, they're holding on to the story that because I was abused as a child, this is why i I drink this is why I do this because it just pretty much gives people this excuse because of what someone did to them, mm-hmm. they get to live life a certain way, and I'm not saying that that's not terrible, and that's horrible that that happened. but if it happened when you're six and you're thirty years old now, that happened twenty four years ago mm-hmm. and I'm not taking away the gravity of the situation. But holding on to that that moment in time and playing it on a re-loop in your head is not doing anyone any, any favors. It's just making your life worse. And I mean, depending on if you choose to forgive the person, if you want to take the Christian route, and that's your thing. Um, you know, a lot of times you forgive people not for them, but for yourself. So that you can actually move on because these things that happened... So long ago, so long ago, that they're inhibiting your life and holding you up. Um, it's just the the story you've been telling yourself to excuse your horrible actions you've been doing later in life,
0: yeah. Uh, And it's easy, it's easy to do that. We see this in a a number of different areas, especially. Um, in the, the treatment environment that people come into it and they've got this story and there may be a, a victim stance or a lot of self-pity surrounding it and that sense of feeling bad for oneself which is, is fine but it doesn't do a lot to move into the present moment it's more about living in, in the past and we, we know and most most understanding and mean just general research has shown that living in the moment being in the now right? Mm-hmm. Um, and being able to work through or move through the past in, in a healthy way really lives to a more productive, healthier, joyous life of contentment. Yeah. You know, where we feel more engaged and, and, and our depressive states are, 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 are not as powerful. The more that the victim stance or the victim story comes into this, and I know it's easy for you and I to talk about this, um, for some, for in, in some ways because of the experience. And, and I, I'm kind of on the same page with you. And, I had some, some things, you know, in, in my childhood that were, um, kind of horrific. I mean, you know, and, and you know my story a little bit that, uh, but you know, whether it be the death of my father or, um, you know, having emotional and physical abuse happening, these kinds of things. And I got a lot of mileage out of these things for a long mm-hmm. time. I didn't realize necessarily or consciously aware of how the story, the story or the narrative I had around them, you know, a, a created this sense of helplessness and gave me an excuse. For not getting things done in my life and not following through on becoming, I guess, a productive, healthy member of society in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, when that sort of that moment of kind of dawns on us when we realize, oh my gosh, I, I've i been carrying this victim stance around for so long and identifying it, it becomes part of my identity it's on, and it's really only a story that has held me back from living up to what my potential is and my capacity as a human being, and especially living in the moment. It also doesn't make me available to kind of connect with people, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and well, <laughs> that's hard to have a healthy relationship with anybody if if we're living in a victim stance because we want to, and also the idea of wanting to bring that person into our story, which kind of leads me to the next point here um this idea you know of uh the you know whether i'm a fixer or a saboteur you know these 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 dynamic roles within relational dynamics kind of get confused at times i use them because of the old you know the old dynamics of the addict and the the codependent so to speak the uh the 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 user or the abuser (laughs) yeah (laughs) and the, the fixer is the person that's trying to constantly, you know, make, you know, make a person better and they want them to be better and they're so worried they, they kind of sacrifice things in their lives and the, and the saboteur is going around uh, maybe selfishly or not, um, you know, dealing with their struggles and, and, and their wounds and, and, and their trauma, um, or their selfishness even in such a way that they don't, you know, they don't really care so much as to worry about, um, the other person, they're more focused on on what they need to do to, to be okay. Mm-hmm. So when you when you kinda of look back over your experience, did you do you relate to one of those roles more than the other? Do you see yourself more as the person who enabled and was the a fixer and trying to take care of things or were you more of a saboteur? I well, I think my
1: story speaks for itself. I'm usually a saboteur. <laughs> <laughs> well I, just, of course. I mean, but yeah, I'm glad yeah, at least you asked me the question, I guess. I mean I fuck shit up, pardon my French. Um I'm I got a high out of it. But also it's I've been in relationships too, where it's you're in like you get so used to like one role having to get played in a relationship where it's I've been with some and I guess, I, like, some chick that's just completely out in left field, and I'm like, holy crap, she's crazy, this and this and that, and I'm trying to kind of fix the relationship, and so the problem is is I get in these relationships with um, more balanced women, and I'm like, oh, holy shit, I, I, I got to screw things up. Like, this this relationship is not balanced. Um, and so, like, I've played both parts, but for the most part, I mean, if you... Have me in your life, I was probably screwing something up. Um, (laughs) I see, or trying to get anything I could for my own gain like that was important to me. Like, what can I get (laughs) out of you? People, when you live in a certain lifestyle, kind of have a monetary value on them, which is really kind of screwed up to say, and it's kind of hard to comprehend. Where you're like, how can you put a monetary value on human life? And it's like, when you're hanging out with a guy who might stab you for twenty bucks, um, everything starts to have a monetary value. Fascinating. Um. Yeah. It's. But. I, and. So. It's, so. It's. It, it is an awkward. Are way you to, talking
0: like, literally when you say that. I'm
1: talking that. literally. I've hung. I've. I've known people that would do really terrible things to people for the most minuscule amount of and it, a lot of it's you know money is what it came down to okay. and the, where you hear that the term money is the root of all evil I mean when you dig into the dark side of it like it really is like it is terrible hmm. um, what some people would do and it's I, it's really hard to put like I said how a person can get there um, you're like how does a person get there and it's a lot of times these people are brought up that way they're their dad was that way, they're involved in a gang lifestyle, their mom was involved in it, they weren't around, they were either doing drugs, selling drugs, this and this and that so all of a sudden that 20 bucks becomes a really big deal to them a really really big deal and they take it as a a form of disrespect or this and this and that, this person does not scare to me enough so I'm going to show up at their house and you know borderline kill them Mm -hmm. or whatever or take their family, I've known guys that you know, are in prison now because some dude owed him a hundred bucks, so he went and kidnapped their child for the hundred bucks. I mean, it's really kind of screwed up. But I mean, there is that facet of life out there that um, this 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 subculture of a world actually exists in the world that we live in, mm-hmm. and for the most part. Um as long as you're not in that lifestyle it doesn't apply to you as much. I mean you do hear like the the tragedies of a drive-by shooting or something where that that uh, an innocent life's taken. But if you exist in that lifestyle, um there is a monetary value on your head. So mm-hmm. if you've got the drugs or whatever it is and the guns or whatever and you're able to financially help somebody, the monetary value is going to be higher on your head, and people are going to try and protect you, and whatever it is, because you you have the money and the means to help fund them and what they want to do. And if you don't, the monetary value is less. You'd be considered like a grunt or whatever you want, and you're 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 doing things for the other person with the the higher. I mean, it it's it's almost like a prison mentality that exists out in it's the street. It's not almost. It, it is.
0: Because that mentality was created outside of prison and then gets taken into prison. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and, and I, I say this not from someone who's, you know, have not been in jail. Okay, so, uh, but I can say that having worked in this field as long as I've had, you know, good 20 years now, I get that this, this world exists. And it, it, it's here, and it's not just a game you play like Grand Theft Auto or something no. like that. This, these worlds is, exists. This world exists. So let's just from that, because that's not who you are today, and that's not the life you live. Do you do you remember sort of the lesson or something that happened, or something got taught to you at some point? Do you remember when the switch was that you know this all this. This history, because you know I mean, I maybe saw you on the cusp of that a little bit mm-hmm. um, but i never i I never knew you when you were in that, you know i mean. Maybe flirting with it a little bit at at a relapse or something, but you never fully. As long as I've known you, I think you ever re-entered that world. So somewhere along the way, you saw and experienced something different, or something, a lesson came up, or you felt you were taught something, or or witnessed something that sort of sparked a change. Do you kind of remember what that was at all, or I don't can think you it, identify it anywhere.
1: It, it wasn't one just moment where it just clicked, mm-hmm. where everything just like. Need, like geez, oh, everything's got to change. I mean, uh, it it definitely like where I real like when you realize you're in a lot of trouble. Mm-hmm. When I was arrested for the first time on really serious charges, where I'm like I'm in really really deep trouble. Um, where I was like maybe I've got to do something different because this is not going to end well. And I remember I was actually doing what I was doing and kind of hitting a point where you're just like. This is going to kill me. This is how I'm going to die. Um, It's not the drugs. It's not anything else. I'm going to get killed. Mm -hmm. And um, at first, it's kind of fascinating. And you're just like, wow, I'm going to go out, you know, uh, Dillinger style. Like, that's kind of cool. Um, But eventually, it gets really scary where you can't walk out of your apartment or whatever without you know a pistol um or something tucked you know and it tucked you know down the back down your back and you're just like this is not what i want to do but eventually the choice is kind of taken away and so i mean it, the the realization of what i was doing was taking place then mm-hmm. after i got uh in really deep trouble for the you know distribution um things started to change um kind of having more people step in and kind of help redirect the life. And I think that's where it is. It comes back to the connection. Who you hang out with is going to be who you are. So, <laughs> so, so If you true. have other people come in that are going to be more positive influences and help steer you away, eventually, like I was saying earlier, eventually your choices will become in who you are down the line. And it, it took a while because you get so accustomed to living that way it doesn't just happen overnight it doesn't just happen um all at once you can't just stop you know associating because these people just don't take that shit um uh it just kind of gradually happened over time and then like I said kind of having enough of the the monetary value where I was able to talk to certain people and I had done what they deemed enough for them Mm mhm uh, over time, I was able to kind of separate myself, and I don't associate with them anymore. And sometimes it's hard, because you um, you you trauma bond with a lot of these people. Um, you do some really serious things with them, and they've done them with you. It is kind of hard to get away from them and just be like...
0: When you explain, I mean, I, I understand what this means,
1: but ex- explain to the people listening what trauma bonding is, and, and, as you see it. So, I I, I want to word it very carefully for anyone who's a, a, a veteran or anything, because I do not want to put the same gravity of that on it. But mm-hmm. it is a lot of, for instance, you get in a gunfight or something with somebody and you have someone right next to your side who's willing to, you know, do this fight with you, whatever. I mean, if you've been shot at before, it is very, very traumatizing. It is not... It's not easy. It's it's not what you it's not what you see in a lot of the action movies. It's really quite a terrifying experience. And so having someone there with you, who's I guess you know being in the shit with you, mm-hmm. uh, you you bond with this person. You you have this like this person's got my back no matter what, and so I'm going to have their back no matter what.
0: Well, that, that I don't.
1: I I don't think that by saying that this is
0: this is similar to some of the um bonding that goes on in war between no, soldiers not. is 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 that much different there's a similarity between that so I don't think by you know inferring that that you're insulting anyone but I understand why you're you you know why you were cautious there um but I there is there so that that's a good explanation so it being in a in a In in an environment where um, the opportunity for life and death is probably high, um, and the aspects of, um, you know, safety are low, that uh, an experience can happen between two people where they feel very connected. Yeah. So, yeah, I got it. Much better
1: stated than I did. (laughs) What? (laughs) You were fine. Oh, thank you. All right.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, So... I have a question that that I just came up with when you told that story that, I I mean, I'd kind of forgotten and I came back to it, was, so having experienced all that, I mean, having been around all this for years and you got out of this, I mean, you were able to separate yourself, like you somehow, you know, made this agreement, you know, with this this lifestyle and this world you were with, which really come down to people, right, Mm -hmm. and organizations um, that are on the clandestine. Side of things. Um, and you, you were able to extract yourself from that, literally extract yourself from that world. Yeah. Um, do you think, uh, and one of the issues that, that's comes up, and I think that's being explored by different countries right now, and this is a big pivot, is that if drugs were not illegal anymore, that if drugs, um, were regulated and, um, prescribed and or, um, you know being we're not we're decriminalized that um this this would change and you know I used the in the book I talk about this and and johan Hari talks about mm-hmm. it in chase history the the yeah I mean that th- this dynamic that we we are creating this underworld and this the black market for drugs because of of the prohibition model, which is doesn't work and and it, as much as we would like to think that spending the billions of dollars on the war on drug um, is a good thing. It it seems to cost more lives and ruin more lives than it does help. And do you kind of, I mean, we haven't talked about this, but I don't want to make an assumption about your belief systems either. But do you think that it would change that world that, you know, that that underworld that is so strong and exists in every community? You, I mean, I know who sells drugs in my neighborhood. I mean, then I live in... You know, a nice uh, you know suburbia. A nice. I live on a nice street, and you know, with nice houses. But I know the person in that street that sells drugs.
1: I mean, yeah, you you'll you'll. The more I've thought about it, because you're going to take a huge, huge dent out of them, um, out of the underworld. Like, if I can't make the money off drugs, they'll find ways to make money. Mm -hmm. They're always going to find ways. Whether it's prostitution, whether it's extortion, whether it's I mean the mafia were kings at it, I sure. mean they would just do extortion and protection and run the unions, but you would put a gigantic dent. I'm a huge proponent, not necessarily for taking out the 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 underworld for decriminalize like decriminalizing drugs, but actually fixing the problem when you look at this as not a judiciary problem where you can arrest it away Mm -hmm. more of a healthcare problem and you can take that money and actually invest it in treatment and helping people Mm -hmm. I mean you look at what Portugal's done and I mean it's something like 50% over 10 years like they I mean and people can say well maybe people aren't showing up and I was like well you can look at the transmission of the HIV and see that it's dropped 50% which means that drug use and stuff is dropping with it um so, or at least
0: there's more control yes. over. It. I mean,
1: the safe injection sites is a big part of this.
0: Um, there, are, you know, we know in this country right now, there's a number of cities that are putting together models. There's some that are already doing it, but it's that publicizing it is honestly, it's it's a double-edged sword because, you know, there's there's this whole anti anything to do with drugs that are they're that going on, and you know, just bad, 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 wrong, 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 wrong. You know, jail, jail, jail. You know. You know, yeah. incarceration which the model or institutionalization which they don't work so th- this idea of you have a safe place for people to come and use and when they're ready they go into another room or up to another floor and they do treatment mm-hmm. you know when they're ready to stop yeah and so Sweden you, know, you mentioned Portugal uh, Sweden Norway Canada does it Canada has, has and some, I
1: think Quebec or British
0: Columbia yeah, they have they have some programs there um and there are some number of cities i mean you know you're looking at philadelphia new york boston san francisco seattle just to name a few that are are you know exploring how to do this and how to do it in a way to change
1: this whole dynamic well even the the needle exchange programs that are going on now i mean i i know mindy vincent i don't know if i should be using her name but she was a a counselor at first step house and she she actually started uh doing the needle exchange in utah um and there's there's been back- there's been some backlash, but I think it's starting to be more and more accepted and I, I like i say i want to be really careful be- um about the the predominant religion here, but I think they're starting to come around and realize that there's a problem and we can't just sweep it under the rug anymore mm-hmm. where they're becoming much more <clears throat> um open to these programs. Mm-hmm. Um, where th- there's a lot of help in doing that. Like, yeah, you're, you're giving them the means to do what they're going to do, but you're stopping the transmission of uh, a virus. And not only that, these people show up um, and social workers are with them when they show up and be like, hey, this is what is available to you. So there's a lot of people, I think, out there who do have... A substance problem, but they don't know where to turn. And so actually having that available, because they're going to show up. I mean, they are going to show up because they want their means to do it and do it, you know, safe if (laughs) if it's available. And then actually having someone there like, hey, when you're ready, this is, this is what's available. Um, so I think there is a lot there. So if you're changing it away from a, you're actually looking at this as a, a, health healthcare problem instead of a um, police problem yeah a, a criminal incarceration problem yeah. and again this comes
0: back to the, the, the basis of um, you know of, of uh, trying to you know a, a prohibition trying to stop people from doing something they're going to figure out a way to get high. finding a way to regulate the drugs and alcohol in some way with the use I mean marijuana has been a pretty good example Mm-hmm. I mean it, it's not perfect and and we're still figuring our way through it. And of course different states do different things. Even here in, you know, the Zion Curtain state, uh it passed the Senate, um mm-hmm. no passed the the, the Congress, um the, the full house that we're gonna um they're going to legalize medical marijuana with certain illnesses. And, of course, that's just going to open up. Mm-hmm. If it gets through the Senate, it'll open up a whole new policy um, of, you know, well, when is my illness going to be included in this, you know? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, I got anxiety.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and anxiety's normal in part yeah. of life, right? So, which brings me full back around to the, the other part um, that... Uh, you know, this, this issue of mental health and mental illness, and sometimes drugs and alcohol and and all that are the symptoms of some underlying issues. And sometimes they're emotional and sometimes they're mental. So uh, you, you have had your challenges that you've, you've dealt with, with your, in your life. And Mm -hmm. what, what are you comfortable talking about is, as far as, um, your path or your journey?
1: Um, yeah, I'll talk about... It. So, I, while I was on a pretty good bender of cocaine and heroin, I got diagnosed with bipolar, which, you know, I guess it kind of fits the state at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they were actually giving medication. They are like, you're bipolar. And you just kind of turn me into this zombie. Um, and so I, I definitely agree. Like, the, medications. the medications. The medications. Um, where it's just like it just wasn't fitting, right? Like, you're trying to... They're, you're trying to cram a, a square peg into a round hole. But, mm-hmm. but they've, they've come a little bit further now where, where they actually do like a swab and they can go like, this is your DNA, this is what actually fits. So g- genetic testing. Yeah, genetic out, testing. To find out what type of medications may be yeah. more appropriate. And so uh, I was diagnosed with my, like depression. This was when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And I definitely do agree I have some depressive issues. And so they, they put me on Lexapro and that's kind of been a huge piece that just fit just boom like it just like round round peg into a round hole just fit perfectly fascinating isn't it Mm -hmm. yeah and i'm i have my own qualms with big pharmaceutical you know this (laughs) um where we hate the cartel so much but they kill technically more people and this and this and that but to say that they don't do good Mm -hmm. i would be i'd be lying through my teeth and i'm I'm also uh, on Suboxone now. Um, I've had enough kind of like issues where things will just come up, and it's just like, yeah, I just keep having issues. Where maybe being on something like that's not a bad idea. No, no. Um, it's not black and white. And and I, and this go this is a big probably
0: a problem within you know the recovery community yeah. that there's black and white thinking on this. And I was that way. I I will say that. I had this purist attitude and in the in the big picture it doesn't serve. It doesn't. It doesn't serve people. And to think that I know what's best for everyone else and this is the whole thing with recovery discrimination, right, is that that's completely unrealistic. I mean, and it'll take us into the next section, but let's, mm-hmm. let's, so how do you, how do you see this now as far as your journey goes? Um, you, cause you kind of found something that is, is fitting right now, right? Yeah. But even though, yes, we're, we're, we're not fans of big pharma. I mean, Hey, you know, welcome to an opiate ep- epidemic, right? Exactly. You know, 160 people
1: still dying a day out there, mm-hmm. you know, and still pushing opiates. So. Well, I mean, yeah, so the, like, my take, for a long time, I was really, really against, against Suboxone, and that was just kind of, it's been enforced for a long time, mm. like, you're not, you're not sober if you're on Suboxone, you're not this, you're not that, and Suboxone's a relatively new medication, it's, it, I mean, it came around, the buprenorphine came around in, like, the 80s, but yeah. it's only really been being used for treatment the last little bit, but i'm not I don't have the effect of of the opiate where it's like I'm nodding out, putting cigarette burns in my leg and this and this and that where i I can't function where I have to go out and steal I need to do this I need to do that i've I function as a regular human being, so a lot of these and i mean you'll get the super super purist where they're like you can't take any sort of medication you you, you're not you don't have a depressive problem you don't have this you don't have that you don't need to take those pills and i've actually known people in a a certain program where they were taught that and they ended up committing suicide Mm -hmm. because someone that they trusted said get off everything and they ended up killing themselves so and I don't like to tell people what to do mm-hmm. um, this is one stance where I am pretty I'm pretty staunch you don't get to tell people what's wrong in their mind mm-hmm. that's their mind they need to figure it out and if a doctor is someone much more qualified than you is trying to help this person that is not your boundary to push yeah. because I've known people who yeah. have, have taken their life because of that. And so if you want to go down that road and that person ends up hurting themselves because of your information, you get to take that on your conscience and I'm not willing to do that for mine. Yeah. So you don't get to tell me, um, if, if you're a super purist and I don't care if this pisses you off mm-hmm. or whatever, you don't get to tell me what my recovery looks like. You don't sure. get to tell me what's wrong and what's right. You don't get to say, you know, if you drink one beer, this and this and that, you restart everything. That's not your place. In the end, if I'm able to live a happy, productive life and live it to the best of my ability, um, that that's what I want. That's what I want to do. And in the end, like if I wanted to shoot heroin all day and that made me happy and I was doing what I wanted to mm-hmm. do... That's fine for me. I mean, but in the end, I didn't want to do that because it's like I could do better. Like, in my eyes, I can do much better. And if I do that, I'm not going to be able to live my life the way I want. Sure. And so my...
0: You wanted something different. I wanted
1: something that. different. You, you, you saw that that didn't serve you in the long run. Yeah. But I'm not here to say that someone that wants to do that for the rest of their life is a bad person or they're wrong. That's just what they choose to do. Yeah. And so, my consequences, good or bad, for getting clean and you know whatever I'm doing now are mine, and what like I said, whether good or bad and it's usually good from you know getting off drugs um that's mine, and if they want to do that, the consequences from theirs are theirs, and I'm going to let any human being or person live their life the way they want to live their life and so i'm I'm definitely in the same boat where Um, I I don't agree with the recovery discrimination um, as much as I agree with like AA and I think they do a lot of great good and I think they're a great program. If it fits for you and that's what Mm -hmm. you like doing, do it. But you don't get to tell someone who wants to do rational recovery, oh, you're going to relapse in two months or this and this mm-hmm. and that. That's not your place. Yes. For all you know, that person's going to stay clean, and you know, by the, your standards longer than you are. I've seen it before, and it's actually kind of funny. Because um, the person kind of just, you know, sure. they kind of get super up and tight and this and this and that. Someone did better than them. And it's like, in the end, you're doing the best you can with what you know at any given moment. Um I definitely don't agree. The one of the things I don't agree with in the the AA program where is the the whole entire time frame. Like you get a month, Chip. You get this and this and that. Because it's like if you had like five years clean and sober and you screwed up once and it's like I lost five years. I'm like, well, you better find that five years because you just had two kids, so um, you, you didn't lose anything.
0: Well, and this this that whole I mean, and you know. First of all, um, you know, no, no downer on, on 12 step. I mean, it, it works. And if it works for you and it, it's your, it's your program and your system, follow it and live it, but don't take it and shove it down people's throats and think that you have the ultimate way to get, to, to get sober. Because all that does is create and, uh, you know, break down bridges and, and actually create disconnection. Mm-hmm. because you know instead of trying to bring these communities together and have them support each other you know they're they're, they're going at each other thinking what's best and finding out you know and, and demonize one another and we don't we don't, need, we don't need to spend a lot of time on that but yeah. but that this does lead into um this idea that um you know <laughs> i guess i'll 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 ask you a couple things first of all okay that when you when we talk about this and we talk about this especially from the perspective of um the aa you know and and the higher power piece and there's all this there, there's discussions about what that means mm-hmm. you know what's a higher power and and you know it, it can be god it it can be goddess you know it, it can be gravity um it can be the sofa for all i know i i it, you know it, the fellowship um and but this this idea um, of what it means to have faith, right? Mm-hmm. And so, whatever the word is—faith, God, the universe—Sean,
1: um, where are you in that? I, I'm a tiny speck of dirt on a beach, is what I am—a tiny speck of sand. Sand. And the grand scheme of things. I mean, the the older I get, the more I start to kind of question the whole entire religious, like God, this and this <laughs> and that. Like, I actually watched this really interesting program, and the guy said, if you didn't teach religious beliefs till someone was like 20, uh-huh. you'd have a much different faith standpoint than what you have now. True, Because very people true. are taught from a very young age, there's yeah. a God, you do good, you go to heaven, you do mm-hmm. bad, you go to hell, and you're taught from a very, very young age. And so going into your programming, you grow up doing mm-hmm. that. However, if you started telling someone that at like 20 when they've developed and you, you'd you have a much... A much different outlook. Different outlook yeah. on things. And so I found that really fascinating. And I do believe that there's... I, I'm not alone in the world. I do believe there's probably... Because there had to be some great power that created the Big Bang. I mean, you have to think about the power that would have to be necessary to create that Mm -hmm. however i don't know if i believe in like one all-knowing all-true being monotheistic yeah yeah so i mean it's you know like for instance you have all these great prophets that have come through in life whether it's muhammad jesus buddha none of them are better than the other they were all great people who taught great teachings and made great sacrifice to do that Mm -hmm. It doesn't necessarily, in my eyes, mean there's one altruistic being. Um, but I do believe that thinking that the world revolves around you and that you know, like, we're I, I'm completely in charge, can be really uh, hindering. Sure. Um.
0: Well, and this idea that you you brought up a really strong
1: point there is the
0: if if. If theology or or religion or th- th- those types of dogma were taught to someone in their 20s um, instead of, you know, being indoctrinated or domesticated into it at a very young age, people would have a different outlook about it. Yeah. It's almost as if, and I mean, I, I talk about this, this idea that at a younger age there's a chance of foreclosure on a family's belief system, especially if, if it's, um, you know, around some type of theology, is going to be much stronger. It also creates an environment in which people are going to push away from that because, Mm -hmm. you know, not everyone, you know, drinks the Kool-Aid or, you know, likes that particular type of beverage. And that's okay. And I know it's hard on families. I mean, we see it all the time, Uh, especially, uh, you know, in the industry where we're we're treating addiction where, you know, that, you know, if you just follow this way or you did things this way or, you know, you could find your way back to God, you would be better. And there may be a truth in that for someone, but... There's no proof that that's a reality yeah. for most people, and so um, even though the idea of faith can be powerful and strong and give people um, a sense of connection and belonging, which is good, it's it's not. It, there's there's no way that. That can be applied or work for everybody. Yeah, and um, you know, again, which faith or or which God or which religion or uh, it, it's it's is we the better the more we can level the playing field with all this, especially for the recovery community,
1: the stronger that
0: we all we all can become.
1: Yeah, know? what works for you is yeah. what's right. What what helps your belief system and helps you become a better person, and happier, live a more productive life. That's what's right for you. Right. You kind of, I like I said, I don't bash on anyone for their religious beliefs. Like in this in this state that we live in, (laughs) that is really hard. Like where people you hear a lot, like oh the Mormons are this, the Mormons are that. I'm like, yeah, the Mormons are also giving millions and millions of dollars to the homeless and other programs. Whether whether they have really ridiculous beliefs on the gay community, which I don't agree with, I can't take away that they do a lot of great things too. It's true. So it's true. I'm not I'm not super into bashing beliefs. I mean, hell, the Catholics went and killed a whole bunch of Muslims in the Crusades, like, seven times. Like, who's right? Who's wrong? We kill more people in the name of God than anything else. This being that's supposed to tell us to love everybody and live a better life, and we're out shooting people over him. Like, it makes me, like, my or, God's or better. Her, or her. Yeah, or her, yeah, or right, it. Yeah, I don't I, know. I know.
0: I know, you know, this... This whole gender
1: identification with God is a yeah, bit confusing at times, too. Yeah, it is. Okay, what brings you joy? It brings me... You know, it's just the older I get and the more I get away from just living this crazy-ass, ridiculous life, it's the simpler things. It's like sitting and reading a book. It's going to the gym. It's hanging out with my family. It's going out with a beautiful woman and going on a date and maybe getting laid at the end of it. I don't know. Like, it's the simple things in life that if you you got to embrace it... Because that's mostly in my eyes what life is it's it's a lot of simple moments permeated by these big grand life-altering things whether you know you get married you have a kid these these are big life-altering things that do things but if that's the moments you're living for at any given time you're going to be solely let down because they only come so often but the the simpler things that you get to kind of have on a regular, a regular day. Like you wake up and the sun is shining and it's a beautiful day outside and you can walk outside with a t-shirt on and shorts and feel fine and be happy with yourself. That's, that's the moment you gotta, you gotta live for because you, you're going to be a much happier person if you're going about it that way than just living for these huge big moments that will come but they come with time. Okay, That's
0: awesome. awesome. Uh, how do you connect with your... This is my term, so... This is new. How do you connect with your Zen spot?
1: I mean, this is going to sound kind of like weird to a lot of people, but I, I do like to exercise. I mean, lately, um, I, it's just kind of with work and things, it's not as much, but kind of actually being able to like put in my headphones and go to the gym, and I can exist in my own little world and kind of get that feeling of accomplishment and I'm doing something or even just being by myself and reading a book and just kind of in that moment in time or even sometimes just like laying in bed or just laying there in complete silence and just kind of listening to everything that's around you and kind of
0: being in the moment, being
1: in the moment. I mean that that's kind of like I said going back living for the simpler moments that come day in and day out that we're usually so shut off to that we don't want to pay attention to them because it just seems so mundane. Um that's you know how I kind of connect with it. And I mean I think you need to do that like a lot of times we, especially in this day and age where everyone's so plugged in all the time and they've just got their phone up to their face at any given moment. Like there's a lot of power I think in actually taking your phone, shutting it off for a half hour to an hour and shut, you know and just being away from that. Mm-hmm. Um Oh my gosh. Where nice. you don't need to like check yes. it like every 5 minutes like what's yeah. going on on Facebook, who's sending me a text, who's doing this, who's doing that. Um if you do that just and I mean and, and this is another great way to see how addiction runs in just every other person cuz a lot of people can't do that cuz they're so connected to that phone or that computer or this. If you say shut that down and don't check it for an hour, they will lose their shit. Um,
0: <laughs> it's true.
1: I mean, and yeah, it's, it's just like it's just like it hit a crack. It's just like you know they need to you know just get on there, and it's just like if you can just unplug for a minute and just be at that moment in time, like things could go pretty damn well for you. Yeah. yeah. Sure. But there's a lot in saying just unplugging for a minute and unplugging. being in that moment in time.
0: Yeah.
1: And I think that's important. then. It is hard to kind of be in that moment in time nowadays where you, there is so much in your face at any given moment. I mean, that's hard. I mean, it's not like the 30s. Where, no, that's true. you gotta, you got
0: to put an intent
1: forward yeah. to, to,
0: to kind of shut those things out. And we, we, we're we just now starting to get to the research of what um, the information age and mobile technology is doing to our brains. And I think we've got more, t- there's going to be more time until so we understand. How deeply this is affecting sort of some of our core functioning, Well
1: I, th- and, th- I
0: think and the, it's, the addiction yeah. there is is I think scary. I do.
1: I do, and I I think what's funny is I mean you have a world of knowledge literally in your hand at any given moment. Like you can be, you are literally a genius. You are literally a genius, and we're looking at cats. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's what we do. And so, like, that's where I'm like, you, you have so much knowledge available, and I've always been a proponent of, like, just accumulate knowledge. I mean, knowledge really in the end is power. He who has the knowledge has the power. It's not the money, it's not this. Mm-hmm. It's, if you have, you're looking at puppy dogs chasing frisbees. Um, or whatever it is. I mean, if you can actually use that to expand on what you know and actually come up with more developed ideas on you know who you are and this and this and that i think it's a good thing but i think for just the mundane stupid things just no point ridiculous that we just do every day i think that's damaging yeah yeah so it's all about how you use the power in your pocket that's kind of what i tell people all right
0: this is my last question all right do you have a favorite song of the year
1: favorite song of the year no, because most of the music nowadays sucks. <laughs> um, not, not really. I mean, a song that came out this year. No, I have. S- say the last twelve months. Say the last twelve months. Yeah. That is a year. That is twelve. <laughs> yeah, yeah a year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> do I have a favorite song that's come out in the last twelve years? Uh, I really like John Mayer's "In the Blood" that just came out. Like, that's a really good song. And it actually kind of ties in a lot to to this. Um, uh, kind of like a lot of the topic. Like, am I... Um, do I have a choice in what I'm doing? Or is it just in my blood? Like, am I going to stay in this relationship that I hate because that's what my parents did? Or am I going to get away from this relationship because I have the choice? Like, it's actually... Is that, it's, as much as people can say, I'm a... Pussy for listening to John Merrick, you can go fuck yourself. Um never good enough Will it wash out in the water Or is it always In the blood How much of my Father am I destined To become Will I dim the lights Inside me just to satisfy Someone Will I let this woman kill me? Or do away with jealous love? Will it wash out in the water? Or is it always in the blood? Right, that and you can say
0: that by yeah. the way. We're made it explicit. Nice. Just so you know. I should have told you that. In the oh, awesome.
1: Yeah. Uh that's definitely a song I would check out. That song's actually really, really good. Um
0: Sean. Thank you so much. You're welcome for spending this afternoon with us. And um, anything else you wanna you wanna close with before we uh, we end today? Not
1: not really. I mean, read your book. I loved it. I thought it was fantastic. I'm definitely of the uh, idea that if you're, if you're if you're listening to this and you're, you're questioning what recovery is, or if you're doing it right, um, you're doing it right. You're 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 doing what you can, and that's what matters. Um, well, if you're in a deep hole and you don't think you're gonna get out, you'll get out if you believe in yourself and you just do the next right thing. If you just push to be the best person you can and you don't have to do it in one day, you can't eat a Big Mac in one bite. Um, you'll get there.
0: This is the elephant thing, right? Mm-hmm. How to eat an elephant, right? Yeah, yeah, okay.
1: one bite at a time. <laughs>
0: right.
1: Thanks, man. You're welcome. I really appreciate it. Yeah. Of course. We're
0: shaking hands. All right. (laughs) Episode two with Mr. Slaymaker. Goodbye, all.